Don't miss the Can-Am Holiday Volleyball Showcase, North America's premier men's volleyball event. Experience and enjoy world-class athletes, coaches, and competition in Toronto this holiday season, December 28th to 31st at the Toronto Pan-Am Sports Centre. Get your tickets while they last at www.cahvs.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest, as usual, but this one, we're really going to pick his brain and see what's going on because he's got quite the resume. So already he's played for the youth national team. He's played for our junior national team twice. He was with the B team last year and even got to go with the A team to Japan. Still in university, so he started off at Sask, and now he's a proud member of the Trinity Western Spartans. And they'll be in town at the Can-Am Showcase happening December 28th to 31st in Toronto. So please welcome to the show, Derek Epp. Derek, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's uh, let's kind of lead into the Can-Am. So looking at Trinity's first semester, you guys are, are very solid, off to a good start. Uh, how are you looking coming into this holiday tournament? Everybody healthy and ready to go? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we have a few a few nicks up here and there. Uh, nothing too too serious, but we're all uh, really excited. Looking to hopefully keep rolling with some momentum we built in the first semester and see if we can uh, see how we fare against the top teams in the North America. Now, with your resume, have you had a chance to either go down to the NCAA or have NCAA teams come up to you and play against them? Is there a different style that the Americans bring? Uh, I actually haven't played against any NCAA teams before in my career, but uh, I think a difference that I've seen just in video is is with the ball actually, and uh, the difference in tactics you can the different tactics you can exploit and use, I guess, to your advantage with the molten as opposed to Macassus. So. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when we use like a, a neutral ball. I believe we're using the, the new Macassa ball, which will be uh, new for both of us. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what tactics come out of there and is most effective. Yeah, a lot of the NCAA guys we're talking to are saying that uh, the Molten is very friendly for spin servers where they expect to both float serve a lot more and receive a lot more floats. Uh, with for you sure. being a star setter, does that affect the setting game at all or is it mostly the serve and pass game when you change balls? for sure it can affect the setting game a little bit uh, depending on how much your your team's in system and how well your team's passing. Uh, for sure the Molten is very friendly to spin servers so guys can go back and, and rip on balls um, and find a fairly high level of consistency with it so if they're torquing on balls and we're out of system it definitely changes um, how you approach the game as a setter and what your objectives are going to be. Um, Hopefully we can uh, stay in system a little bit and let our attackers go to work, though, with the castle ball. Now, again, when speaking to a bunch of NCAA players and coaches, it looks like they're all familiar with Trinity, and it's actually uh, a big reason why some of them are coming because they just know they're going to get quality games. And obviously McMaster, Alberta, and Ryerson have earned good reputations too, but how does it feel to kind of be one of the main squads that they, they know they're in for a battle when they play you guys? Uh, it feels it feels really good. It's, it's kind of a it's nice affirming that, uh, they think highly of us uh, up in Canada as well, and there's always talk about like from non-volleyball players, like oh, who's who's stronger, like the U.S. or Canada in volleyball, and it, it usually like kind of comes down to well, the top teams from both can can compete with each other at, at a high level. So I'm excited to see kind of how that's all going to play out with the top teams from both nations being able to go at it. Now, obviously, Ben Josephson, he, he double-booked himself with being a, a coach with the women's national team, and I believe he's going to be at the Olympic qualifiers. So 
Does that yeah. affect uh, the dynamic with you guys at all? Like, who's going to be taking the, the first chair for you? And, and does that, obviously losing Benjo is not a good thing, but how do you think that'll affect the, the squad as a whole? Uh, well, for first chair, I believe, uh, from what I know, I think Ben Ball and Adam Schreimer, our two assistants, are going to be, I think, maybe co-chairing it a little bit. Um, it'll be a different feel, for sure. Uh, ben Joe's one of the best coaches in the nation and in North America. Um, so not having him is going to be a bit of a, I don't know, a little a hurdle to get over, you could say. Um, but I think it's going to give uh, our leadership group and some of our older guys like a good chance to really step up and lead and show what what we are and who we are against Spartans, um, even without our, our leader, our head coach. Now, uh, again, with you guys coming from the West and being a, a big bill for a lot of teams, it looks like you've added a couple games. You guys are going to visit Brock and McMaster after the event. Uh, how many guys do you plan on bringing? It looks like everybody's going to get some meaningful playing time. Yeah, I think we're bringing it. I don't know for sure, but I believe we're bringing everybody on our roster. Now, uh, with Adam transferring from a player to the coach, he didn't seem that sympathetic to the guys where he says Nationals is three games in three days, so it's just kind of a, a dress rehearsal for that. But but from a player's perspective, how are you kind of planning to play three games at the Can-Am but then also go to Brock and play Mac twice? Is uh, is the I, I guess the trending thing with Kawhi right now with load management, is that a concern for any of the guys, or are you guys just excited to, to play some new competition and get ready for the second semester? Uh, I think we're definitely excited for some new competitions, new faces. We usually don't get a chance to see McMaster until the national tournament most years. Um, as far as load management, our, our coach accept does a really good job at making sure that we're all being tracked and our loads are being tracked and we're all jumping the appropriate amounts for whatever injuries we need to need nursing. Um, so I'm not too worried about the load management side just because we have so many knowledgeable people kind of uh, designing our program, you might say. So... Nice. Um, so obviously a little bit of a takeaway with Benjo not being at the coaching symposium. So I was hoping you could kind of give us a look behind the curtain where uh, we've had Elser and Adam on the show and they've, they've said good things. And even Jen Cross, who's only worked with him in the summer uh, with the women's national team, seems anyone who's in the gym with Benjo comes away just with him being one of their favorite coaches. What influence has he had on, on your playing style and how you've developed? Oh, uh, the biggest influence of any coach I'd say I've ever had. Also one of my probably my favorite coach uh, to have, that I've ever worked with, but uh, one of the biggest things that, or biggest takeaways from working with Ben as opposed to other coaches is, it's going to sound maybe a little strange, but like how he views you as like as a person, not as an asset. You're not, uh, you're not a number that he's using to win games. You're not a, a statistic that he's manipulating to win games. You're an individual. You're a friend. You're a part of the family. You're uh, meaningful individual to him as a person, more so than just a volleyball player. Um, I think that makes a huge difference for for individuals wanting to be coached by him and wanting to learn from him and uh, being able to really take away the information because he knows it's it's known around the country how much he knows about volleyball, probably the, some of the most of any coaches there. But uh, really being able to dive in and take in take away sorry as much info as you can from him i think mainly comes from how much he cares about you as an individual nice and is there anything you can share what practice looks like one of my favorite parts about talking to jesse elser was he talked about it's a brotherhood but when you're in the practice gym like 
you're not afraid to get after guys, not afraid to maybe talk through the net or, or just try your best that like when the drill is on, people are, are ready to fight. So how do you guys manage that with, with the brotherhood off the court? But when it's game time, everybody's doing their best to win. Yeah, for sure. Bull practice usually starts with uh, a warm-up game like called 2v2 or called Sasko there in BC, um, which usually is uh, pretty lighthearted and pretty fun. Guys are kind of goofing around, having fun before practice. But then uh, once yeah, once we get into our, our gameplay sections of the of the practice, it, the intensity for sure ramps up. And I think like it's high-performance sport. I think everyone knows like what to expect and what's going on, and no one's take anything personally or no one's but no one's also like attack no one attacks anyone on our team it's more there's a certain level of accountability but it's not hey you're doing this wrong and i'm gonna yell at you because you're doing it wrong it's more like hey do you remember what your job is in this situation or uh like are you sure of yeah like what you're supposed to be doing in in each situation that's presented um and for sure it gets intense every once in a while guys will gift each other a little bit over a call or whatever but that's a sport we all like love each other still and after practice it's back to normal in the therapy room chilling so with you starting your post-secondary career actually at a, at a different school was there anything that stood out uh at trinity with the way their practices are just based on the depth and coaching stuff they're not not in a better or worse way but just in a way that stood out that you're like man this is this is how trinity does it and i i really like it for sure um well one of the biggest ones i noticed right away was like with the depth that Trinity as a program has had for the past number of years, um, the level of practices are are quite high, which is which is amazing. Like that's the best opportunity you have to get better is when you're practicing with and against the best players day in day out because you only have two matches a week. So if you can play against a team who's pushing you day in day out at practice, then that's going to give you even more opportunity to refine your skills and refine your mental game. Um, the differences between Trinity and SAS practices, I actually might say that Trinity has, like, we have quite the spectrum of, not focus level, but uh, intensity level, I guess. Like, as I mentioned before, like, we have a unique ability to be goofy and joke around in our off times and in our warm-up times um, when it's not necessary to be 100% focused and locked in because, uh, you're doing your individual warm-ups, that kind of stuff, but then a unique ability to kind of flip a switch and turn it on for our gameplay where we know, all right, like, it's time to go, it's time to compete, it's time to get better, it's time to push the guy next to me and he's going to push me. And, and I think that would be one of the biggest differences is most other teams I've been on, it's been, all right, practice time, lock in, just go, go, go the whole time. And that can be really immensely draining. So I think Trinity, we have a nice feel for how to get the most out of each practice by having that kind of spectrum of intensity. Nice. So for you growing up and attending uh, the University of Saskatchewan to start your career, uh, just fill us in because you're our first guest from Sask. Um, what's it like, the high school level there, would you say? Like, how did you help with your development through high school and club? And actually, the first question is, uh, when is your club season? Because in Ontario, we start September and go all the way till nationals, obviously. But uh, BC and Alberta, I believe, are January starts. Are you guys a January start as well? Yeah, I believe so. I think usually we would have our trials would be at some point in December, and then teams would be selected early January, and then start training probably mid to late January. 
Nice. So looking at your bio here, I mean, obviously you played Western Canada Summer Games and you made the youth national team. So most of your development could be credited to Saskatchewan. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Uh, obviously, there, there's players being pumped out of there, but it's not very uh, talked about very much. So what was your what was your club experience like? Um, what's kind of the depth of talent when you were coming through? Yeah, it's, I think it's destiny. And we'll talk to the guys on our team. We have guys from Manitoba, BC, and Alberta. Um, it definitely, I get the sense that it's definitely maybe a bit of a different uh, kind of template for volleyball and development. Um, because Saskatchewan, for some reason, is just such a big football province that most and football and volleyball like the seasons in high school uh, run side by side. So you can't really do both. So a lot of the good athletes would enjoy playing volleyball and learning how to play volleyball end up playing football um so this kind of it makes high school volleyball a little interesting like if you have a few club guys you're going to be pretty set for this for this for the season i guess but um i think it puts a premium or not having as many athletes or volleyball players playing to make like for good competition day in day out i think it puts a premium on what you do as an individual and how much you get out of each training session of each session with your coach each video session whatever it may be like how much do you really get from each of those sessions and from each of the people that you work with throughout your career um because there are amazing coaches here in Saskatoon like Mark Dodd is my favorite coach growing up I loved working with him and we had a nice bond and a lot of my development is credit to him um helping me with some individual sessions and uh, helping me try and learn the game on my own because it's not like we don't we are in Alberta we don't have eight ten teams who are all competitive and could win provincials let's say for for a given year like we usually would have one team in Saskatoon and one team in Prince Albert and that would be the provincial final kind of year in year out you had to win the one game if you wanted to win and so it was really important to yeah suck like suck as much out of the sponge as you could from every opportunity every situation every individual you came across with because you weren't always in the middle of these crazy intense matches against high high caliber teammates not that hurt uh players sorry not that there aren't high caliber players out there but i think as a whole there may be a smaller percentage in saskatchewan due to the fact that we love football out here <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And uh, I should clarify just for our listeners, I didn't mean to downplay what Sask was doing. I just meant to say that Trinity does things special and we always like to see what's in their gym. But when you were at Sask, obviously the team was really competitive. And I believe uh, just before you got there, they actually made the national semi, right? With guys like uh, your brother and I think Zach Rempel and a few other guys on that team, right? So when you chose to go there, you were entering a competitive program, right? For sure, yeah, for sure. And the main reason, well, the reason why I went to Sask my first year was to have the opportunity to play with my my oldest brother Tyler, uh, he was in his fifth year when I was in my first year. And uh, growing up, I never had the opportunity to play on any team or any sport with him because our age gap was so great. Um, so when I was in the recruiting process, looking at okay, like our years may line up a little bit here. This it was pretty exciting and it was tough to it was tough to turn down um, such like a. Sounds kind of weird to say, but like a life-changing opportunity to be able to play with a family member at a high level at an institution was was pretty unbelievable. Nice. And what led to the transfer? Like, what made you want to choose Trinity after completing a, a year? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, my first year at SAS was was awesome. Like, we had a, we had a really veteran squad. 
Um, so I learned a lot about what university volleyball is like, and I learned it pretty quickly. Um, I got opportunities. I got nice playing time opportunities, so I could kind of figure out the volleyball world, but also the off off court or like teammate dynamics. I learned a lot from guys like Dad Tyler or Zach Rimple or Andrew Nelson, uh, those kind of guys. Um, and then uh, I just realized kind of after that, looking at it, that Tyler was going to be gone. Like the reason why I went to SAS was to play with Tyler, and so he's going to be gone. He's out of the picture. Um, and then I just looked at what's my best opportunity for for my future volleyball development and my future volleyball growth. And it, it was really close between Trinity and SAS coming out of grade 12. Um, and just the family dynamic was just a little too much, so I chose SAS. But then looking like when I look back at it again, I thought there's no better place. I didn't even think of any other place other than Trinity. Uh, if I wasn't Trinity, I would have just stayed at SAS kind of thing. Nice, nice. And and just to shift gears into some of your national team experience. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when you made the youth national team, that's a team that's selected at either the Canada Cup uh, or uh, National Team Challenge Cup, it might have been called at that era. But you basically were identified through your provincial team and then selected to, to a camp, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was, was through the excuse me, NTCCs um, of my grade 11 year. Uh, and our, our show loves a good name drop. Who else would have been on that youth national team the, the first year you made it? Well, the first year would have been like me, Jacob Kern, Pierce Ashenko, uh Dana Jima, uh, Sebastian Lethbridge, Matt Bosley, uh, Jordan Pereira. Uh, who else? Jesse was on that team. Jesse Elser. Uh, Joel Rudd was on that team. Shawan was on that team. Wow, so a bunch of guys who would go on to represent Canada even after this experience. So what was it like meeting those guys? And do you remember like one of the first practices when everybody was in the gym together? What was that like? Yeah, it was definitely interesting because I believe the team was, there was uh, six, six guys from Ontario, five guys from Alberta, and then me, the one guy from SAS. Um, so I remember the team was announced actually after the medal ceremony um, in front of like the fans that were remaining and I was called up and I remember looking around like oh man like these are some these guys are all studs from like Alberta Ontario like these guys are the real Dion just this guy this little guy from SAS but <laughs> not sure what I was doing but um the first practice was for, for sure intimidating for me being the only only guy from SAS and the only guy who didn't know somebody else on the team um everyone else kind of had their buddies from their provincial teams but uh uh, everyone was super welcoming, and like it was Benjo, uh, Dodds, and Carrie Mack with the coaches. So you can't really ask for a better coaching staff either. So it was nice that I had Dodds as a coach because he was like kind of my connection then before I met the other guys. Um, yeah, intimidating for sure. First national experience, like you get your your Royal Canada t-shirts to train it, and you're kind of like, whoa, like this is the real deal now. Um, but really exciting and a really good opportunity and experience. Nice, and, and you kept climbing the ladder there, but what I'm hearing from Thomas Soar and some other guys we've had on the show, uh, VC likes to run their tryouts a little bit different, right? Like, there's a ton of guys in the gym. You got Lionel and, a, and an army of stats people running around, taking stats, making sure everything's, like, evidence-based, right? So when you yeah. went to Gatineau for your first tryout, was there just a different vibe there, or were you already pretty confident because you had that youth national team experience? It was a different vibe for sure. It's pretty pretty intimidating for your first time kind of going there with the you know the big name coaches walking around 
uh, taking stats, you know, their clipboards, and I'll just be, every once in a while, they'll just, like, look down and write something down, and you're like, oh, I hope that was good, or that's not about me. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, with the stats base, for sure, less so for setters, I think, is intimidating, more so for passers and attackers, um, because there aren't that many stats that can really be tracked for setters. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's intimidating, for sure, but you also kind of take a moment and realize, like, oh, I'm in the Gatineau Training Center. Like, this is where the big guys train and play. And it's a pretty cool experience even just to be in the gym and to be put through drills from these coaches and be being looked at being evaluated from these coaches. Um, intimidating for sure, but it's also enjoyable and pretty cool experience. Now, would they share any stats with you? I'm just trying to think what they actually would chart on you if they're charting, maybe attaching your team's hitting efficiency to your setting style if they're going to go that deep or even yeah. charting how many one-on-ones you can get like would they share any feedback of what's uh what this evidence-based uh uh i guess scouting proved i don't uh, i'm trying to remember in the trials i don't believe we saw any stats until the end of the trial i think they told you that they told you your stats in your like uh exit meeting oh, okay um and I wasn't giving any stats. I don't think I took any stats really for setters. Like, I wasn't giving any percentage or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I think it was mainly passing and attack efficiency that was given for liberos and outsides. Um, I'm trying to think if there's main ones for middles too other than attack efficiency. I don't, I'm not sure, but it has been a few years since we did that. With the B team, I don't. Again, it's different being a setter and not having those stats given to me because they obviously didn't really use those to make their selections. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, sorry, I'm kind of trying to blank on that. <laughs> All um, good. All good. Uh, so how has the experience changed? So you've, you're kind of a unique guy where you've come through the system and played youth and then you had your junior experience and then you made the B team this summer. Uh, are you starting to get more comfortable or is it just a fight every time you're in the gym because – it doesn't look like VC's afraid to recruit new guys, right? Every time it looks like it's a fresh start and they're looking for the best players every single year. For sure. And I think that's just kind of the epitome of high-performance sport is they're looking for the 12 players or so, 14 players, that give them the best chance to win games because uh, at the end of the day, that's what the goal is, is to win games, to qualify for the Olympics, is to develop players who can help you qualify for the Olympics in the future. Um, so for sure, there's always... It's always intense. There's always a little bit of uneasiness or uncertainty of what's going on um, because there's lots of good players around the country and lots of guys come out and try out. Um, I think every every experience you go through though gives you a certain sense of self confidence and self belief that you've been through some things, you've seen some things. Um, not that that gives you any advantage over other people, but just like for yourself, it helps you. Like I know what tryouts are like now when I go in for B team tryouts, or I know. Like, I've been to Gadno, I know what to expect, I know what the food's going to be like, that kind of thing. So I think that can be helpful going into tryouts now in those situations. Um, but yeah, like, they're not, nothing's really given to you. you got to earn everything every year. Nothing transfers over, so. Now, a few injuries this summer kind of shot some people up the depth chart. When did you know you would be traveling to Japan with the A-team? Uh, I actually found out. Uh, on the Tuesday night at around midnight, and then I left Thursday morning at nine. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, so not a ton of, not a, not a ton of advance notice, but hey, that's okay. <laughs> and what was that feeling like? Were you just over the moon when you got the call? Yeah, I remember Benjo 
Uh, he was actually away in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, I think it was Puerto Rico for a, a tournament with the women's team. And he called me, and I thought he was just calling to maybe check up on what practice has been like without him, or like what's the feel right now heading into um, Alberta in two weeks. And then he told me that, and I remember just kind of sitting on the phone for probably a good like 20, 30 seconds, just like not really saying anything, just like making like kind of some random noises, like just in shock, like didn't really know how to answer us. So he said like, yeah, Walsh went down. Um, they're wondering if you can go fly out to Japan for the last few games. And I was quiet for three seconds. And I was just like, well, what, what did you say? <laughs> and then he was like, well, he said, I said, I talked to you. And I was like, oh, that's pretty, like, that's pretty cool. Like, that's like pretty insane. Like, I was pretty, pretty shocked and kind of disbelieved the whole situation, but like super excited as well at the same time. So with uh, everybody being at Gatineau between the junior, the B team, and the A team, is there any vet that stands out in your mind that kind of went out of their way to, to help the young guys and help you kind of climb the ladder? Uh, personally? Yeah. Uh, well, throughout the summer, I talked a lot with TJ and had a lot of good conversations with him about setting and how offenses, or how he likes to set up offenses and run offenses and, and exploit uh, block defense systems. Um, in, in Japan, me and Walsh, talked a lot and I felt like I had a pretty good relationship with him um, and he helped me uh, through that experience um, and yeah any of the older guys even like not in my position like I remember Jeremy Davies I hung out with him a lot this summer he helped me through a lot of just like volleyball things not necessarily setting things just volleyball things um, being an older guy but there's a lot of guys who are really good at helping out younger guys especially if you ask like if you go to your way and you ask a question or you you look for a little more information on something guys aren't going to be or trying to guys aren't going to try and hide what they know from you because everyone's trying to get better and everyone wants Canada to be as best as we can be so if, they, if anyone can help anyone they're going to try as hard as they can I think yeah it sounds like a pretty fantastic culture where like you said people aren't afraid to go out of their way but it's also their workspace where I've heard stories from guys where they're afraid to like leave the weight room in a mess, that everything gets put back in order because there's a culture that, like, the young guys have to really respect the space. But at the same time, if, if somebody's around, they're not afraid to answer some questions and take some extra time. So I think it's a credit to what uh, Dan and Glenn have really built there. For sure, for sure, yeah. Uh, just to jump on one of your points there, because we did have TJ on the show, and he kind of wowed us with how tactically he thinks of the game and how uh, to really slow him down as a setter. He said the team really needs to understand themselves because he likes to kind of look at their blocking scheme and kind of exploit them versus always worried about like his tendencies or what rotation they're in. Right. So what was he able to pass on to you to help you uh, tactically as a setter? A lot of our conversations were to do with uh, the middle, the middle attack and how you can use different middle runs um, to set different things up um, and how you can manipulate blockers into gaps to open up gaps for other attackers. Um, that was one of the things that, I noticed a difference this summer with the national team as opposed to coming from Trinity was the, the prevalence of the middle attack as opposed to the pipe attack. It's it's still there and it's still used, but it's not as Trinity, we love our middle pipe. Like That's how we kind of base our offense and that's where we kind of go from. But um, with the national team, it's it's a bit of a different style. It's a different feel with international play because middle, like international middles are massive. Like They can stay on the ground get a touch on a 50 and still be up on the pipe. So like a, a 50 bit is tough to 
execute over a Mazursky, for example. Um, it's just the the style changes as the athletes change, I believe. Um, so being able to use your middle in different ways, sliding gaps, um, jumping through gaps, opening different gaps up, um, changes the game how you need to view it as a setter as well um, and how you can use that to open up different things or to exploit different people on their, on the, like in their block defense system. Now, what do you think it is about the, the pipe or the BIC that's really trending where uh, it started obviously with the international game. Universities seemed like very comfortable with it, that it's even kind of influencing club volleyball right now. Is it just the fact that you're opening up a gap and if it's run well, it's almost a one on O or, or what is like the fascination with a lot of people basing their offense on, on the fast back row? Yeah, um, for sure it has to do with gap control. I mean, gap control is, is essential for running an offense. Um, I think one of the hardest parts about stopping uh, a 50 big, for example, is is the time differential. And if you can run it fast, the, the set looks almost identical for a 50 as it does for the big. So if you like, if you imagine our team, you have Jackson coming on a 50 and you have Eric coming over top of him on a big, and you see a ball goes up that looks like, oh, Jackson probably hit that. The amount of pressure that you're feeling as a middle blocker or a left side blocker trying to help is so immense that you almost, even if you don't leave the ground, your your weight shifts a little bit because it's just human nature. It's hard, to, and you have to train against human nature if you don't want that reaction to occur. So if it's human nature to get these, their feet to lift, their heels to lift off the ground, then a bit will be wide open. You'll have a, a one-on-one. One, maybe if the right side's helping, a one-on-o through the gap that's wide open now since Jackson did it, or uh, opened it up, sorry. So I think it comes down to the time differential, the gap control, and just the pressure that the blockers feel, which makes it so difficult to stop on a consistent basis. Nice. Now, with all your knowledge and, and you're still developing it and kind of borrowing ideas from other setters, is there anything that you look back and say, man, I wish I knew this as, as a first year or even a club setter? And one example, I'm, I'm name dropping a lot, but I really enjoyed when Thomas Sora came on the show. And, and one thing that Shane White got through his head this summer was it's OK to set the guy twice in the same rally, where I think if you watch high school or club, if there's a recycle and the ball comes back, we kind of just go around the wheel and set a different guy and then a different guy in a longer rally versus it seems like Volleyball Canada has no problem setting the left side two or three times in a row because the defense has to reset and recover and go get it right. For sure. Uh, yeah, something I wish I knew when I was younger would still something I'm working on to this day, but it's just to always have a plan, always have an intent, always have a purpose to to where you're setting and why you're setting it. So, for example, if someone after every set, if someone came up to you and said, "Why did you set that ball?" You should have an, you should have a reason um, to back up why you made that decision. Um, which is really tough to go through a whole match with that. It takes a, an incredible amount of uh, mental toughness and mental fitness. Um, like I said, which is something I'm, I'm still working on to this day. Um, and probably will be for the next <laughs> 10 to 15 years, hopefully. But um, yeah, I think always having an intent and a purpose behind what you're doing, um, A, helps you to run an offense and to run a team, but also B, helps you with, uh, to, like when you're trying to cheat statistics or if you're trying to set up against a certain uh, blocker to exploit, um, always having a, an intent behind what you're doing gives you a pretty good foundation as to what you're running and why you're running it. 
So with the the plan you talk about, are you almost scripting plays like similar to what a football team does and say, these are the plays we want to run early and see how the defense reacts? Or um, how much of a plan can you do in advance versus kind of being open and aware of what's happening in the moment? Yeah, I, not necessarily scripting plays. Um, going into each match, you have uh, an idea of what their block defense system usually tries to accomplish, like how, like what's their style of trying to stop people. Um, so you have that. You also need to know your offense and how you've been playing, whether you've been clicking with everybody, who's hot, who's not, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of it comes down to what are they giving you in the moment? Like, can you make the quick read, the quick decision to the open guy that they're giving you for that specific play um, in that specific moment? There's For sure there's time for setting things up there's you gotta set up your next cycle you gotta set up your next sequence um but in certain situations it's it's what are what are they giving me and what can i take kind of thing and sometimes it can be kind of boring because if they're not making any changes and they're giving you the same thing every time then you just have the same thing every time because why like why not like you see tom brady in the nfl he's just nickel and dimes people with slants and crossers because well, they're giving it to him, so let's take five, seven yards every play and march on the field and get a touchdown then rather than try and force a long ball or force like a try and force the middle when they're they're giving you the left side or force a long court right side when they're giving you the bit kind of thing. Um, something definitely that I'm still working through now is um, using having your game plan as your template and then working off of that as the defense and as their block defense changes throughout a match. So as they make adjustments, you also need to make adjustments as a setter because you have a way you're starting to exploit them. They have a way they're starting to try and defend you. As they change, you need to change with them or else they're going to catch you. You have to keep them always guessing. It's kind of like the tag, or we like to use the tag analogy at Trinity. Like you're running away from the fast kid. You know you're not going to outrun him. So he's catching up to you, catching up to you. And right before he catches you, you zig. And then he has to get his get his footing and catch up to you, catch up to you, and then you zag, and then always try and stay kind of one step ahead of them. Um, it's kind of the goal for the for a match, but yeah, I guess to kind of recap it, a lot of it comes down to what are they giving you and what can you take kind of thing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, just one more question about setting because I'm, I'm always fascinated by this. When you look through the net, how much information are you gathering? Are you really just spotting the middle to see if they're commit or fronting or if they're neutral? Or are you also looking at like the back row guys? Like how much information can a setter really gather when the ball's in play? All right. Um, yeah, that's a, an interesting one because I think it also, it is a little bit dependent on the situation, how much time you have to look and to gather information. But in the ideal world, you'd be able to see the middle or they, their middle, um, fronting, staying neutral, step front maybe. You look at his position, you also look at his hips, uh, his ankles to see whether he's in a commit position or if he's in a read. Um, and you can sometimes see his hand position. Uh, high hands usually means read because he can't um, get down or he can't jump from there without bringing his hands down and back up to commit on a middle. And if he does that, the middle's going to be over him before he's up. Um, so you can gain a lot of information from the middle itself, but then also looking for the position two blocker and whether he's inside on help position, if he's way out to the pin um, for your third, your three gap control for your either your bick or your your thirty run, whether he's able to help, and then also 
Uh, I'm working on trying to look at the position one defender and seeing his position uh, in the court, whether he's up high, uh, maybe spying for a dump, or if he thinks our middles are cutting back, so he's kind of shifted to the side, or if he's if he's deep for the big, then you know the middle's going to bounce in front of him, but if he's high up, then the big can go over top of him to the corner. Um, so stuff like that. And then post plays, talking to my, like I like to talk to Colton a lot this year, uh, or at Daniel Barrow I played with, um, can I get a second set of eyes on what, what he's seeing and what's going on? Because it's tough to see the position five, position six, and position four players and what they're doing on defense. So if I can kind of take the front three and he takes the back three, we kind of get a full full view on what's going on, and then we can make our plan, like me and Ben Ball can like make our plan um, as to how to exploit them and what they're giving us. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. There's a ton of value there for, for our coach listeners and some athletes where – I think we would all agree a, a hittable ball is like the bare minimum that has to happen, but it's always neat to see how the wheels are spinning and all the information you guys are gathering when you're when you're in the fight. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What, like you said, what it comes down to it, though, like you can put a hittable ball up. You're, you're doing like that's your job. You gotta make sure that that all this stuff's kind of extra stuff. Maybe gain a little bit of an edge, give someone a one on one at some point of the match to kind of make that difference. But hittable balls is is the key. It's the key to setting. You can put guys in good situations. A, you're going to do good as a team. And B, your hitters are going to love you because they just want to hit the ball. They don't care how many blockers they have. They, just want, they want the ball and they want it in a good spot. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right, Derek, we've taken a lot of your time here. So the, the big thing is that I would encourage people to get out if they're in the Toronto area and watch the Can-Am Holiday Volleyball Showcase. That's uh, December 28th to December 31st. And then if they want to really follow Trinity around their Ontario tour, it looks like you're going to be at Brock and McMaster shortly after. But uh, just last question, what are you guys looking forward to with second semester where it looks like CanWest is going to be super competitive this year? Um, you've had a tough schedule leading into this, but it also looks like everybody's competitive and second semester is not going to be a cakewalk either, right? So um, how are you looking forward and how are you going to make sure you guys are, are peaking at the right time? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, definitely looking forward to some some quality matchups coming this second semester, and also just like the playoff push that you go through, or hopefully that we can go through this year. Uh, it always brings its own its own challenges and its own adversity and lessons to be learned. Um, but it's always interesting and, and awesome to go through and experience with uh, the group of guys you're with. Um, as far as the peak, I'm sure Ben Dro has has a plan in store for us that we won't know until maybe a few years down the road, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it should be it should be a good, really good semester. Hopefully, can use this Can Am with the momentum we built. Uh, use it as like a bridge to kind of bring the momentum from the first semester and the second semester. Try to keep rolling. Uh, yeah, make sure we're putting our work in in the gym, getting better every day, pushing each other, and having fun doing it. Awesome. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been really educational, entertaining, all that good stuff. But uh, taking a lot of your time for somebody who's on break and hopefully enjoy some time with family before you get back into the grind. So. Thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been awesome.